Fast Model Sports, makers of the most trusted tools in basketball, Fast Draw and Fast Scout, is a proud partner of Coaching You Live. With Brendan Sir, Kevin Eastman, the Coaching You Live team, and Fast Model Sports, you will receive the best coaching tools and resources to take your program to the next level. Fast Model Sports is excited to announce an exclusive limited time offer for Coaching You Live. 15% off our Fast Draw Play Diagramming software. Fast Draw is used by professional teams all over the world. Over 600 NCAA Division I men's and women's programs and thousands of high school coaches. With Fast Draw, easily draw professional looking plays faster. Organize your plays and playbooks. Save and share unlimited plays quickly and easily. Redeem your limited time offer today at fastmodelsports.com using the promo code COACHINGYOU. Once again, fastmodelsports.com, promo code COACHINGYOU. Welcome to another podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir, with a guest today that I know all of our listeners will enjoy, Dr. Tim Elmore. I met Dr. Tim uh, at the SEC Coaches Conference uh, a few weeks ago in Birmingham, and I saw on the agenda understanding millennial athletes. Having had two of my own, uh, I said, let me see how I screwed up. Uh, Tim Elmore, welcome <laughs> to Coaching You. How are you, my friend? Thanks. I'm doing well, Brendan. Thanks for having me on the program. Tim, when when we when we uh, you know met, uh, the thing that blew me away, and I, I I love learning, so I get blown away a lot because I'm not that darn smart. I'm a coach. Okay, <laughs> I'll give that qualifier. But one of the things that really got me, and I love this topic of millennials because that's what I deal with. And that's what coaches yeah. deal with, so I study it. But when you started out and you you are an expert in the IY generation, you got my attention because I didn't know what the hell you were talking about. Explain it for us. Okay. Well, you and I have both read and heard bunches of content on millennials. In fact, we've been studying now for 15 years I just noticed as we continue to work with student athletes and pro athletes that the second half of the millennials was different than the first half. In other words, you can't really necessarily lump them all together and say they all think alike. Um, new technology has been introduced uh, in the 90s that wasn't around the 80s, and then since the year 2000, new technology has been introduced. So we call the second half of Generation Y, or the millennials, Generation IY. And the reason we call them IY, because the impact of the I world, iTunes, iPods, iPhones, iChat, iMacs, iPads. And as I mentioned that day, Brendan, for many of them, life is pretty much about I. It's actually a much more self-absorbed batch of young people than the first half. They're not wicked or evil. It's just they're tougher, they're tougher to coach, to teach, to lead, because their attention spans are shorter. I call them screenagers, not teenagers. And so I just feel like we needed to unveil some new uh, research uh, to help coaches really coach them now that we're past the 21st century uh, marker. As I was sitting there uh, in the back of the room, I like to sit in the front, but I, I had this, I'm in the back of the room, and I'm sitting there, and I am as impactful a speaker as you are. I am saying to myself, he's speaking to me big time because I've I've had I have a 32 and a uh 
just turned 32 and a 29-year-old, both athletes, high-level D1 athletes who are now doctors and stuff. And I'm saying to myself, where were you 12, 14 years ago, brother? I could have <laughs> really used you. And when you talked about post that this early Gen Y generation postpones maturation, 26 is the new 18. I laugh my ass yeah. off, frankly, to be honest with you. Yeah. Explain that to us. Well, um, it's very intriguing that when we dig and we research on this newest student-athlete, very often they're uh, physically or biologically advanced, often cognitively advanced. They've stuck a lot of data in their brains, but socially and emotionally they're behind. In mm-hmm. other words, as you benchmark where they ought to be in their maturation at 18, 19 years old, um, they're, um, I, I, if you remember, I showed a slide called Neverland. It's, it's the Peter Pan Neverland thing where, you know, they were very mischievous, wanted a mother nearby, and they refused to grow up. So I certainly realize there's many that are not that, and you just want to hug them and say, join my team. But far too many that you just think, oh, my gosh, you should be ahead of where you are. Um, and sometimes they're just, you know, absolutely addicted to that s- smartphone in their hand. Um, so, Brendan, if you remember, I actually did a slide that I, I thought was a um, really fun conversation with the SEC coaches that day. Do you remember I talked about the Generation IY scene? I was just going to ask about scene. that. Yep. Yeah. So, for our listeners, the words, is if you just imagine the word scene, S-C-E-N-E, I took that word and I wrote it out vertically because I think those letters aptly describe five characteristics of the scenario that kids are growing up in today. But then on the right-hand column of this slide, I put down the unintended consequences of that, what we didn't see coming, we didn't realize. So real quick, I'll just walk through that, and that might be good fodder for discussion here. Please, Um, yes. The letter S, yeah, the letter S in the word seen simply reminds us their world is full of speed. Um, Everything's fast. Uh, Instagram, high-speed Internet access, ATMs, everything's instant. But if I grew up in a world of speed, I can easily assume that slow is bad. In other words, I can't even navigate slow, and we often see that. Um, The letter C in scene reminds me their world is full of convenience. And I contend we all love the modern-day conveniences we enjoy today. But if I grew up in that world, yeah, if I grew up in that world, I, I can assume that hard is bad. And I think I pointed out that day the number one phrase that K-12 educators say they hear from students is, this is too hard. You know, they're just telling their teacher, this is too hard. Um, so it's crazy. The letter E in scene, their world is full of entertainment. And now it's in our hands, you know, with a phone. But if I grew up in a world of entertainment, I can assume that boring is bad. And, of course, boring has never been good for for us, even when we were kids. But it's now even difficult for them to even navigate anything boring. They've got to have noise coming at them all the time. Uh, The letter N in scene, their world for many of them, not all, but many, their world has been full of nurture. We have safety policies and safety codes, and, you know, safety is our number one priority, and I totally understand that. But if I grew up in a world of nurture and safety – where maybe the middle-class American family, you know, is putting helmets on them at dinner time. You know, it's crazy. And giving them a, a trophy for putting the fork in the dishwasher. You know, that's just – that's not like the real world they're going into. So if I grew up in a world of nurture, I can, I can assume that risk is bad. 
And Brendan, right now, we have the most risk-averse population of young adults to date, uh, where they want to be entrepreneurs and they want to be their own person, and yet they're so afraid of failing because we, we built a world that caused them to be afraid of failing. And then lastly, the last letter E in the word seen, the world is full of entitlement. Again, not all, but so many uh, employers of young people, coaches of young people would say, these kids just act entitled, like I deserve this just because I'm here. And if I grew up in a world of entitlement, I can easily assume uh, that labor is bad. And, of course, the work ethic uh, is, is often down. Now, I want to be careful to say this is not a slam on the kids. We love these kids. I think they're loaded with potential. Brendan, you serve very talented athletes there. But um, the culture we've raised them in does not foster naturally the life skills that would have been cultivated 40 years ago when we were going to school. You know, it's just a different world. So coaches have to be much more intentional about building these this emotional intelligence and these life skills that maybe happened naturally decades ago. So that's – I just felt like that kind of put in a nutshell in so many cases why this is a challenge today for us to lead them well. Well, that leads into the – we used to, back in the old days, we'd say the $64,000 question, but now we're up to a million. Uh, of how the hell do we coach these guys now and gals? Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the, that's the thing that intrigued me about – our conversation yeah. and my learning from you is all of a sudden I thought you gave me a path of how to coach them. Share sure. some of your yeah. ideas, if you would. Okay. Well, I'd be glad to. And please stop me if you want to go a different direction. But the okay. first thing I would say to, to coaches, athletic directors, anybody that's in charge of student-athletes, I think athletic departments need to be culturally relevant and intentionally timeless. Now, let me say that again. Culturally relevant, meaning I get the world they're in, and I'm going to try to speak that language as best I can, but yet intentionally timeless. That means I'm not going to try to be like them. I'm going to lead them across a bridge that they need to move to, to adulthood, uh, to responsibility and initiative and, you know, maturation. So those are not mutually exclusive, but you could see how a coach might think, well, I'm either going to be really hip or I'm going to be old school, timeless, you know, grandpa coach here. And I don't, I think you can be both. And if you remember that day, I talked about the fact that this generation of student athletes is an epic generation, E-P-I-C. Uh, and once again, it's an acronym, but maybe this will be helpful for coaches. The letter E reminds me, these student athletes or these young athletes are experiential. That's the letter E. Meaning, um, whereas when we, when I was growing up, Man, it was just a lecture from the coach or a talk from the teacher or a, a yelling match or whatever. These kids want an experience. So I'm thinking if coaches can provide some environment or experience first from which they teach or communicate, I think it becomes sticky in their minds. Um, I, we have worked now with dozens of Division One athletic programs, and I love it. In fact, uh, the San Francisco Giants and the Kansas City Royals um, the Atlanta Braves and the Pittsburgh Pirates are all doing epic coaching now, more and more with their minor league players, creating experiences, then talking. Um, it's, it's, it's really based on the fact that kids are not looking for a sage on the stage with a lecture, but I do think they're working, looking for a guide on the side with an experience where we're having a conversation and debriefing what's happened. So that's letter E. The letter P in epic reminds me, Generation IY is participatory. 
Now, let me explain this. By participatory, think about the world they've grown up in. These kids, ever since day one, have been, have been asked to participate in the outcomes of where almost everything is going. Some of these kids have been weighing in where the family goes on vacation since they were five years old, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them as young adults can't watch a reality TV show without voting on who stays on the show next week and who gets voted <laughs> off the island or whatever, you know. So yeah. I'm simply saying to coaches, is there a way we can create a sense of ownership by letting them participate and put their fingerprints on practice time or on, on, on various aspects of the team? Because I have noticed, Brendan, students support what they help create. Students support what they help create. So, again, we're not seconding our leadership as a coach. We're just saying, mm-hmm. I know I'm going to get better ownership if I let them put their, their hands on this thing and, and determine that. And I heard some Texas football coaches way back in 2008 say, suddenly our players got engaged when we let them determine some of how practice went. And he said they were harder on each other than we were hard on them. So you might get some great outcomes if you say, okay, you call this thing. So that's the letter P. The letter I in Epic, if you remember, Brendan, was these young people are image-rich. They've grown up in a world of screens and icons and images and visuals. They're an extremely visually driven generation. In fact, I love what Dr. Leonard Sweet once said. He said images are the language of the 21st century, not words. So I wow. said to coaches, is there, is there a metaphor or a word picture or, or some sort of an image that can anchor what you're trying to communicate? Because they're so right hemisphere in their thinking rather than left hemisphere, many of them, we've got to utilize the image to say what we're trying to say. And you remember that day I showed you some of, of, of our habitudes. It was simply a way to teach a principle with a river and a flood or with a chess piece or a checkers piece or whatever. So image rich. And then the last, the last letter in Epic, the letter C, that reminds me these young athletes are connected. They're connected both socially as well as technologically. So if you've got a baseball team of 25 players or a football team of 100 players or a basketball team of 12 to 15 players, is there a way you can break up the team into smaller communities of three or four and give them a well-crafted question for just a few minutes, one that can't be answered with yes or no, but you force them to really connect with each other, think out loud, talk about it, and provide some sort of input? Now, are they going to say something goofy? Absolutely. I mean, especially guys. I mean, you know, we just we get goofy. But I have watched over three decades of doing this now that these student athletes will begin to come up with some innovative ideas. And once again, because it's their idea, they own it. It's not me pushing something and you know imposing. It's me exposing them to a thought and then letting them weigh in. So I just believe the more epic we are as coaches, the better chances we have of getting through. And uh, I welcome whatever input because you're, you're in the trenches right now. But uh, we've just found that tends to work really well with connecting at the very heart of a student athlete. Oh, I, I think you're so right on there. And I've always believed in participatory. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I go back to when I was coaching the Pistons with Chuck Daly and and, um, you know, when I had come from the Hawks with UB Brown and Mike Fratello, great yeah. coaches, and, and they kind of told them what they were going to do. And then I go with Chuck, and when we're preparing for an opponent, whether it was Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson, he, he would turn to Isaiah and say, how do you want to guard this player? How do you want to defend Jordan or Magic? He, 
you know what? And all of a sudden, they believed in it because it was there. They, that yeah. was their idea. And you know what? Even Absolutely. if it was a bad idea, they tried harder making it work. Exactly. <laughs> That's <laughs> so true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you, you mentioned something about – I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Tim. Uh, you no, mentioned no. something about coaching on ice when when we were in uh, yes. Birmingham. It, 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 I, I, that's similar, right or wrong, this, the images, the conversations, and the experiences, correct? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, just to simplify it, I, I have watched now – oh, JT, we've heard hundreds of coaches now. Uh, yeah. We start with an image. And because a picture is worth a thousand words, that image leads to a conversation. Now you have student engagement, you have athlete engagement that leads to an experience, which is what we think changes their lives. So they eventually do something on the court or the field. And so we say, put your coaching on ice. And if you remember that day, we just did a mm-hmm. sampling of these, but those, these images that we call habitudes, kind of a funny word, but it's actually a real, real word in the dictionary. Habitudes mm-hmm. are simply images that form leadership habits and attitudes. So um, rivers and floods is all about focus. Floods are water going in every direction. Rivers are flowing in one direction. <coughs> Excuse me. Wow. Sorry about that. That's, that's great. Yeah. 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 So um, anyway, just we feel like that just communicates. And then you've got language, you know, to use. Yeah, language is, uh, language is something that uh, – it is so important when we're dealing with these young people talking their language, not not all their language, but some of their language right. to help them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and when you do that, now you've got interaction. Um, it's more like Facebook than TV. It's more interactive than just a program that's yeah. being downloaded. Um, I don't know about you, but I love to talk, and when I coach, I love to hear myself talk, and I love to deliver this eloquent thought, you know, and I need to realize, you know, they want to hear their own voice and they want to think their own thoughts. And if I can guide them, then they own it when it's all done. Yeah, what I found out uh, in in my journey now of coaching 42 years, uh, when I started out at 21 coaching, let's say, officially in college, uh, and then through 30 years in the pros, I, I found out that the more effective coaches were the ones that were better listeners. Would you agree yeah, with that? Yeah. I really do. In fact, what I'm here with, as we meet with student athletes and just survey them and try to get their mind on issues, they, um, <laughs> they'll tell us, I love it when coach lets me talk. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I just, they, they just, and, and they're pushing for what's commonly called now relationship based coaching. Now, I know yes. this doesn't sound old school to some of your listeners, and it may, it may not be old school, but it's you just inviting a conversation. And um, what I think I remember saying to the SEC coaches that day was, we've got to build bridges of relationship that can bear the weight of truth. Bridges wow. of relationship that can bear the weight of truth. So I earn my right to really speak into the life of a student. That, uh, and maybe hard truth. Maybe it's a confrontation. But I've earned my right to do it in his mind and heart or her mind and heart because I've, I've won them through that bridge. And, again, that may seem soft. I don't think it is. I think it gets results, just like you mentioned. So I'm, I'm an advocate of that for sure. Yeah. You know, 15 years ago I started to work, and I'm allowed to say this, all my coaching is confidential that of people I work with on the outside, but one person has kind of been an advocate and really 
he wants to share with the world. And that's Billy Donovan, who's now the coach of Oklahoma City Thunder. And and when I started working with Billy at Florida, and I would talk to him about things that you're talking about, he turned to me one day, and he had played for Coach Patino at Providence, and he turned to me and said, that's soft coaching, you know. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. not like it's soft coaching. So he resisted, very much so. And now, Billy, in the last, oh, gosh, nine, ten years, he is the softest, most, uh, I mean, he's just a beautiful coach now because he's all about the people, all about the player. He's just understands the connection about getting into their head and heart. He's totally transformed himself. And I think before the old model uh, was, I'm the coach, I'm the boss, uh, this is not yeah, a democracy, yeah. I'm in charge. And, and now it's totally about, I'm now serving, I'm a servant leader now, which is my advocacy. Yeah. Uh, I serve my children, I serve my players. Uh, your thoughts on that transformational coaching nowadays? Yeah. How do you, how, how when you're approaching coaches to coach them, how, what is what are your thoughts to help coaches be successful? Are you in the same mindset of that? Absolutely. In fact, we are advocates of of servant leadership, and sometimes when that term perhaps is overused in some circles, we call it life giving leadership. We want to breathe life on these players, and, and that's what you want. You want a player that's fully alive, you know, uh, when when they're performing. So yeah, either one. I love yeah. that, and I I think you know the we were um, we were just up at Penn State, and and uh, we talked about the fact that whether you think you're natural at what we're describing now, Brendan, it gets mm-hmm. results, and surely every coach wants results. You know, yes. not only on on uh, in the game, the competition, but then you know you want to graduate, uh, you know, athletes that are great citizens. I know that sounds cheesy, but we do. We want great representatives and ambassadors. Of our university, so um, I just I just lobby all the time. Even if you have to change and adapt, and you're mad because you're 60 and you're not 20 anymore, it just it just seems to be the right way to really get the players where they need to be. And if we really care, that's what we're going to do. What, what when you when you're going in, let's say let's take for instance, you were coming onto a college campus. We'll use that as an example, and you're coaching. Not a, a sports-specific group, but you've got 16 to 20 different head coaches in the room, uh, men and women coaches for men and women's sports. The message I know is more difficult than with a single sport in front of you because you're now generalizing per se. But you're now you have you, and you have a limited time to kind of convince them to think, frankly, to to yeah. grow to change, and most coaches say they embrace change, but then they want someone else to go first. I understand that. But, you know, how, how do we how – how when you and JT go to a campus and you say, okay, I can I, – and you can. You can really take them to a different level as a coach. How, what, do you, what are some uh, – uh, and, and you've explained what you have talked about today. How do you really engage them to get them to to move off it and to buy in? Getting the coaches yeah. to buy in, the kids will buy into you immediately. Yeah, I know absolutely. that. They, 
they will buy in immediately. How do you get this group of know-it-alls, as I like to call my peers, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> experts of doing sometimes the wrong thing, how do we get them to say, okay, you really want to grow and develop and get better? Here's some great advice for you. Yeah, yeah. Give me some Good. Okay. Well, I'll, yes. I'll share a couple of thoughts that hopefully will be relevant. One yes. is I, I believe that today in our 21st century world, student athletes need coaches and leaders to be two things. They need them to be both responsive and demanding. Responsive and demanding. Now, those sound like mutually exclusive characteristics, but they're not. We need to lead with responsiveness. And by responsiveness, I mean that student athlete says, my coach gets me, he understands me, he loves me, he believes in me. And again, not syrupy, but just, every, every, wouldn't you agree, every child in America needs some adult that says, I, I care about you and I get you. At Amen. the same time, I think we need to be demanding. I think the average kid needs someone to call greatness out of them. Uh, we'll be average. We'll be fine with average sometimes. Now, not all, but you know what I mean. We've we, we got a lazy nature to us, and if we're just getting tired, we'll just give up. So if I am responsive and demanding, I have both earned my right to say some hard things, and I will now hold up a standard that I know they're capable of meeting. Um, I love um, one former president. Uh, I, 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 it was a former president that's, that was talking about, that's to about the national. That's about the national average of how many presidents we do love in our country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. That's, that's our problem right there. Um, <laughs> he, he, was, he was talking to educators, and he said a really interesting statement. He said, we have been guilty of the soft bigotry of low expectations. Mm. And I thought that just gripped me when he said that. Because it is bigotry. If I, if I have a student that is fully capable, but no one's ever asked this of him, I, I, if I really care, I'm going to call out the best. And it's not, it's not easy, but, but we've got to do that. So that's thought number one. We need to be both responsive and demanding. And I think both – we have a habitude for that, by the way. It's called the velvet-covered brick. We need to be <laughs> velvet on the outside, you know, which says, I love you, I care about you, I accept you. But then brick on the inside. Here's, this is tough, and let's do this together, but we're not going to be satisfied with anything less than giving our very best. So, so that would be thought number one, Brendan, I would share with you. Uh, the right. other thing is uh, just a couple of quick thoughts. I'll make these quick. Sure. Uh, I think we need to not think control, but think connect. Um, I don't know about you, but when I, things go awry, if I'm teaching a class or coaching a team or leading an organization, I want to seize control. Sometimes we're control freaks. We just want to say, just let me take control. Well, I think control is a myth. I really don't have control of the attitudes of those players, and I really don't have control of the outcomes of this this year's schedule because, you know, otherwise I'd schedule wins for every one of the, you know, columns. <laughs> but, um, but if I can pursue connection, that's something I do have control over. If I can connect at the heart level, I may not get control as a result, but, boy, do I get deep influence. So I would say coaches out there, seek, con seek connection, not control. Uh, B, don't think informed, think interpret. Um, they don't need us for information anymore. They, thank you, Google. They got information. They need us for interpretation. We need to give context to all the content they have in their brain. So um, that would be another thought. Those would be some, uh, maybe three, three big thoughts that I would say to a coach today that's maybe trying to migrate toward being relevant to, uh, to an athlete today. And, and, you know, I mean, you know, with 
some of the younger, the young kids I'm working with now at LSU, uh, I'm the old guy, so to speak. Here, I have yeah. no problem yeah. admitting that. But and 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 you really hit on something which I really believe in. You know, don't think manage, think mentor. And I think yeah. I do, I, and I do that for the coaches, my staff that I'm on, as well as my players. Uh, I'm not yeah. worrying about control. I'm connecting and I'm trying to mentor. Yep. And I think that's the same deal, really, as a parent in many ways. Would you agree? Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, I don't know any young athlete that wants to be managed. I do know a bunch of them that want to be mentored. And if we approach it, like, like you just said, put that mentor hat on and just say, how can I pour into you? How can I offer you – how can I add value? Oh, my gosh. We've got – at least over time, we've got somebody that begins to be responsive to us because we've thought like a mentor rather than a manager. That's, that's a shift to make, but I think it's a good shift. One of the best players in the country just was before our call came into my office, and he just said, hey, Coach, how you doing? And I said, what can I do to help you? And he goes, yeah. what do you mean? I said, you know, you're one of the best players in the country. What can I do more to help you? And I think that I always felt that was one of the great questions that a leader, manager, mentor can yeah. ask of his people that, you know, of because, you know, that's that's what we should be built for. Yeah. Don't do what I yeah. you know. And, uh, but I think the things that you're I, – I think they're just – uh, and I know you do them every day, so they're such natural talents for you and JT. But I, I think some of this, these things are the most groundbreaking things. I think this is the essence of where coaching is going. That's why I got so yeah. excited when we when we when we met and talked. And and I think you know the, the fifty to a hundred thousand coaches that will listen to this podcast in the next week or two. This is going to be something that's going to shape and change, hopefully, their lives and their approaching, whether they're coaching at the high school, college, or professional level, or if they're leading yeah. a business team, or if they're parents of kids, or all of the above. And I think that what you guys are doing in Growing Leaders is off the hook. I mean, I really do. And for those people, and I, you know, and I, I'm, since we met, I follow you on Twitter every day. You post so much great content. Tell me, tell our, our listeners how uh, they can follow you on Twitter, let's say. Okay. Well, my Twitter handle is very simple. It's simply at Tim Elmore. So Tim is in Timothy, T-I-M-E-L-M-O-R-E. We'd love to have you follow Coach out there. And then um, our website's very simple. We are, as you just mentioned, Brandon, we are Growing Leaders. So it's growingleaders.com. And if you visited our site, we have um, pages of athletic. We work with um, student leaders in various different um, arenas, but um, student athletes are one of our chief areas, both pro and, and college and high school, really. Uh, uh, so we'd love to have folks visit, and if there's something we can do to add value, boy, we'd love to. We, like you, Brendan, we want to move the needle on coaching today where we, it actually becomes a platform to change lives and build great men and women. So thank you for what you do as well. We're, we're uh, honored to be a part of this podcast. Well, you know, I, you're most welcome, but I, I think uh, the mission of our coaches nowadays and what you and JT serve is that we are in this now to, for, frankly, uh, we're, we're really interested in high human performance. 
and we know yeah. that to gain high human performance, uh, the first step is through the head and the heart. And if yeah. you, you can't get people to perform at an incredible level, I don't care who they are, unless you can get there as a coach. And I challenge any coach to keep learning how to lead better. And you must, and I, you know, I I have a, a nice tribe of followers. You must follow Dr. Tim Elmore and what they're doing at, at Growing Leaders. It is something that I think has just been a blessing to come into my life. And I thank you, and I can't wait to get you out here to LSU. So thank you so much, and looking forward to doing things with you guys in the future. Thanks, Coach. Good to be with you. Appreciate it. 